Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective. My name's Liam Dempsey and I'm here with my co-host, Matt. Hello all. And Paul. Hello Spocklaters. Today we are joined by a returning guest. He's been on the show before to do two Spotlight of the movies, X-Men and Death Wish 3, but now he's here to talk some Star Trek. It's Daryl Barr Yay. from Matt's other podcast, Southern Double Deep. How are you doing, sir? Hello. Yeah, I'm great, thank you. I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's, it's, it's great to have you here. For the actual it's the, Star Trek episode. It's the first <laughs> time I've been on with you, Daryl. Yes, ever. it is. So, you know, because I was amazing. not present for those other two. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm very aware of this because I was a, a friend of the show, Ross O'Coy. Once mentioned on on uh, I think it was Twitter that like the X Men episode was the best ever. Not to oh. yeah, that you never listened to. I was like, oh really? Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Is that, oh, is that true? Ross? Is that true? <laughs> That's a very typical, <laughs> typically insensitive Ross move. Oh, that one you're not on. I'm not saying you don't add anything, Paul. It's just you don't. <laughs> and of oh, course. Uh, this is the first time, Daryl, that you've been on the show since Matt became a regular part of your podcast, Sun Double Deep, as well. Yeah, this has been yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's been so bloody fun because it was about, when was it, July time? Mm, yes, I came July. on with Proper, with the uh, the wild triple bill. And yeah, it's been an absolute blast. And this is, yeah, every time we cross over, like when Liam was on SDD very recently and now now, it's always like, okay, here are the, the, the streams are crossing. <laughs> it's, I feel very lucky. <laughs> it's like a Marvel event. Yeah. It's really, really, really nice. But you guys have been cooking up a new podcast project, haven't you? Hell yeah. I mean, this is something that came about when I swear we were just joking around various active filmography yep. shows. Because there's a lot out there. We were trying to pair up a lot of funny names with, with actors. And then one we kind of came across was Mr. Paul Dano and how he has a hard time of it in most of his films. And we just asked ourselves, is Paul Dano okay? And we were like, right, that's it, that's the show. And it was kind of just a joke. And then it became like, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> so we've, yeah, we've been obsessively planning this thing for a while and with a tentative March-ish release for season mm -hmm. one. Incredible. So might just be just around the corner by now. So I very much yes. look forward to that. I think it's going to be wicked, guys. We've already seen the podcast art drawn by our very own Stephen Trumbull, uh, who also drew our podcast art. So he is he is available for hire. We would recommend him highly. You can look at our pod art and the new pod art for Is Paul Dano Okay? Uh, and see just how amazing uh, I hope you'll clear that is. up on the show whether it's Dano or Dano because Liam's uh, done his uh, you know classic put say his foot in it already else. yeah <laughs> well I oh, think we this, looked is, I is think that it... not right well who knows we we'll on the yeah. show find out well, you'll, yeah, you'll have to tune in where's fucking Dano get him on and ask him till he tells <laughs> me different that's it I think that'll be the goal by the end of season four is just to see if we can actually, you know, spear the white whale and, and actually get Paul <laughs> Dano, Dano on, on board. <laughs> Daryl, as you pointed out, uh, you are on for an actual Star Trek episode today because uh, I actually went and listened back to your episodes that we did for Spotlight the Movies to remind myself of what your Star Trek credentials were at the time. 
And when you mm. came on the X-Men episode, which was when we ran through uh, your Star Trek credentials, you told us that you watched quite a bit of Star Trek Next Generation back in the 90s when it was a mainstay yeah. of early evenings BBC Two. Mm. And then since Trek had come to Netflix, you'd been watching the original series and at that time you'd made up to kind of season two. You'd also been watching Star Trek Discovery and you'd done all the films. So obviously it's been well over a year um, <laughs> since that X-Men episode, probably about a year and a half or something like that. Um, so you've watched it all now, have, yes? yes? Yeah, what have you been doing since? How have your, have your Star Trek credentials What have increased? you been doing since? Um, I finished the original series on Netflix. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. My plan was to then find a perfect time where I could take a deep breath and plunge into to the next generation properly. Um, and that, I, I mean, 2020 happened. And it just, you know, like, pff, as if. Um, Discovery smashed season two of that. Um, and then we watched the first two or three of, of this next season. And again, life, life, oh, life, oh, life um, happened. And uh, we did we did the first two and a half episodes of Picard. Uh, Jeanette, our Sun Double Deep co-host, and also hashtag my wife. Yeah, we got to we got to episode three. We got halfway through, and Jeanette turned to me and goes, "Are you enjoying this?" And I was like, oh, "I don't know." Kind of. She's like, "Well, let's let's fuck this off for a, for a while then, and we'll come back to it when we're probably in the mood." And so at some point, when it takes our fancy, we'll we'll jump back onto Picard, I think. But yeah, we we're, we're gingerly taken steps, and again, I finished the original series, and 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 yeah, that that's I, I've I've made small movements since last time we we discussed that. Okay, well, you sure. finished the original series. You, that that that's a big step. It's more <laughs> more than me and Matt have done at the end of the day. Paul has watched the entirety of the original series, so he's with you. Mm. And, and do you feel like watching the entire original series was a good use of your time? Were you happy with it? I got to say I really enjoyed it from moment one. I think it helps that that first season of the original series has so many like amazing episodes. It's always that thing where, like, and again, my my issue in going into something like uh, The Next Generation or, like, Christ, even Discovery, like, you know, from, from one extreme to the other, is people going, oh, well, it gets better after a season or two. Whereas the original series is just like, bitch, ground floor, you're in. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I, I, it has all, yeah, it tapers off. That's the problem with the original series. It has kind of a reverse issue, but... But yeah, man, there's even stuff in season three. I was like, yeah, I dig this. I dig the kitcheners. Hey, I'm I'm a I'm an, a first doctor guy as well. Like, you know, for me, I'm a you know I'm a Hartnell guy. So so give me give me sixties kitsch sci-fi, and I'm I'm all over that. Yeah, amazing, I wonder amazing. like how you felt about this way to Eden in that third season. Like, uh, talk about kitsch. Uh, it's the one with the, the space hippies. Yeah, I, I mean, again, it's 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 a product of its time in the same yeah. way that Batman, the you know, was you know very much that in the in the sixties also, love it. Love yeah, it. it's nothing but entertaining, uh, and yeah, I agree that season one is absolute killer. There's like a couple, only a couple of like mediocre ones in it, like that's it, and it's mm. just such a high high bar. And yeah, it's difficult to follow, but two does a pretty good, good job mm -hmm. of it, and three, there are some gems in there too, despite its yeah. reputation. Yeah. We have covered two of the worst episodes of three and no, no, none of the others. Good ones. So maybe we could spend think, some time. I think with me, I think maybe. I was just handpicking random episodes to watch and, and coming back to the original series a lot because it was so much fun. And I think just through random handpicking, I've only got like four or five of season one that I haven't seen. Like it's all kind of stemmed a lot. From yeah, anyway, I've done so a hell of a lot of Out of every of season, season or every show, that's the one that I'm closest to. Yeah, I, I agree that that season one is is really considering it's like thirty episodes or something. Like 
so many of the absolute classic episodes of Star Trek in that first season. And you really feel it's one of those shows you watch where it feels like every episode is laying down new sci-fi ideas that would get replicated time and time again for decades afterwards by other people. So Everything's for the first time isn't it yes. like everything yeah. for the first time and no more so than this time travel episode which we're going to discuss today where they make time travel mistakes which wouldn't happen in future versions of this episode that you'll see in other shows where you know we can talk a bit more about it later on but you're like they're like thinking this through in real time like they haven't been in back in time yet have they yeah, yeah making no, they all mistakes in this one this is the first ever star trek time travel episode tomorrow is yesterday now this was picked by daryl uh, this is season one, episode 19, although it will say it's episode 20 on Netflix if you want to find it mm-hmm. on there. Daryl, can you tell me why you picked this episode? Sure. Before you get loads of angry tweets, I've got to say this is actually the second time travel episode <gasps> of the first season. The named time, which is episode four of season one, they kind of fix everything at the end with a bit of timey-wimey stuff. Um, so that's the first time that they actually do it. And then I, I think it's something like four times in, or three times in season one and four times over or five times over the original series. They, they go, time travel, that worked before. <laughs> um, and yeah, the reason I chose this is because this is, yeah, two-thirds of your way through that, that first season. The episode before this is, is Arena as well, which, like, even the people that don't know Star Trek have definitely seen clips mm. of, of Arena. And, and I, there's something about this, and I know there's loads of people who will say Sitting on the Edge of Forever is, is the best or one of the best, you know, episodes. And I, 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 I actually prefer Tomorrow's Yesterday. Captain's Log, Stardate 3113.2. The Enterprise out of control. Maximum warp power in reverse propels us backward in time. UFO is picking up speed and climbing. I'm going in closer. Try and beam that pilot aboard. Computer, you will not address me in that manner. Compute. Computed, dear. It also has an unfortunate tendency to giggle. He's down there alone, probably under arrest. He doesn't have a communicator and we can't locate him or beam him back aboard without one. Sabotage, espionage, unauthorized entry, burglary. I am going to lock you up for 200 years. The contemporary 60s setting of it, it kind of recontextualizes what Star Trek has been up to that point. And I think that, for me, is what I, I love about it. You know, for up to that point, we've seen all sorts of planets with weird, creepy, crawly people and strange space things. And, and then it's like, oh, no, but this actually comes from somewhere. And I, I think the cold open, as great as it is, I, I kind of, I, I think it misses a trick. I, I love it. The whole idea of, you know, the, the kind of radar room. And uh, I think we have a real UFO in our hands. And, you know, these kind of army guys kind of are checking that out. And that's great. But, like, we're watching a Star Trek episode. We know what it is. If it have opened with the crew kind of going, whoa, we've just had this crazy thing where we were kind of catapulted to whatever. Where are we? And that had been the cold open. But either way, mm. like, it's a, you know, it's it's great. I love it. It's a tight, compact little thing and i love that there's mistakes and and they they screw things up and then oh god and then the mistakes get you know compounded on i love the humor 
in this episode. There's so much stuff in there, like random, random shit, like the computer um, having a female <laughs> yes. voice and calling Kirk dear all the time. And you're like, what, what, where did this come from? <laughs> what is this? I love it. Captain's large supplemental. Engineering officer Scott informs warp engines damaged, but can be made operational and re-energized. Computed and recorded, dear. Computer, you will not address me in that manner. Compute. Computed, dear. Mr. Spock, I ordered this computer and its interlinking systems repaired. I have investigated it, Captain. To correct the fault, we'll require an overhaul of the entire computer system. A minimum of three weeks at a star base. I wouldn't mind so much if only it didn't get so... affectionate. It also has an unfortunate tendency to giggle. <laughs> I take it that a lady computer is not routine. We put it into Signet 14 for general repair and maintenance. Signet 14 is a planet dominated by women. They seem to feel the ship's computer system lacked the personality. They gave it one. Female, of course. Tomorrow's Yesterday, written by DC Fontana, absolute Star Trek legend, uh, wrote mm. This Side of Paradise, Journey to Babel, and Yesteryear from Star Trek the Animated Series. Now, we've covered all of those episodes on the podcast before, so she is a really important uh, figure in Star Trek, although I should say the story of this was apparently came up with by Robert Justman, who was never paid uh, for the story. He was an associate producer on Star Trek. He became a co-producer in season three. And apparently Gene Roddenberry just took the story off him and went, thanks, mate. And then just like never <laughs> kind of paid for any royalties, gave him any oh, credit. Man. Or anything like that. I wonder if they uh, thought, like, oh, the idea of the Enterprise going back in time to present day is such an obvious kind of idea, really, that one of us would have thought about it eventually. So let's just take it now. Well, You're getting nothing. Yeah. The story, I, I know what you mean, but apparently his story outline is beat for beat what the story uh, actually is. Oh God. Like, but obviously DC Fontana would have written the dialogue and stuff, so it, it does sound uh, pretty bad. Directed <laughs> by Michael O'Herlicky who this is the only episode of Star Trek he ever directed. He was kind of a veteran TV director, directed loads and loads of kind of well-known shows, including a couple episodes of Miami Vice in season two, Paul. Um, yeah, I thought I recognised that name. Like, he's the brother of uh, the, ba the bad guy from Robocop. The old is man. he? What? Yes. Yeah. Really? Wow. Yes. That's an amazing factoid. But you were talking about the opening, Daryl. Lots, lots of stock footage in that opening, mm. I think. Yeah. Is it all from like a Howard Hughes jet pilot movie that was like took ten years to make or something? <laughs> Hell's uh, Angels. Uh, yeah. No, I think the jet one. I think it's just <laughs> called Jet Pilot. John Wayne. Mm. By the time the film uh, came out, all the planes in it were obsolete. <laughs> just... As cold opens go, it's great. If you just uh, just turned the the channel over and you had no idea it was a Star Trek episode that was that was going to be on, and you just caught that that beginning where everybody's you know, I say everybody, it's you know it's very limited with your cast. There's two dudes there. You've got one guy at the, at the uh, radar, and you've got like the general guy behind him. Captain, what is it, Web? A blip, sir. Just came on the screen. How do you read it? Aircraft of some sort. By the size of it and the speed. It's not one of ours, sir. It doesn't even read like anything I've ever seen. What was the approach? None, sir. It was just there, like it fell out of the sky or something. Current position? 
Directly over the Omaha installation, sir. Holding there. Watch the scope, Webb. Air defense will want to send somebody up to get a closer look. I think we have a real UFO in our hands. You, you would just think, oh, wow, this is some sort of, like, taut thing, maybe. Maybe it's the Ruskies. Because we're at, you know, we're the height of, of the space race here. And so it's like, oh, wow, you know, like, maybe there's... Maybe there's that maybe there's Cold War shenanigans afoot, like who knows? And then we see the Enterprise and it's like, mm. I know that ship. I do really like the ending of it, where you just randomly, after having this entire opening sequence that's set on contemporary Earth, and doesn't feel like the show that we know at all, that you just have that one shot of just the Enterprise randomly in the clouds. And you are immediately like, what? Because I, because like you say, it's the first time they've properly gone to like contemporary of the time Earth, and to have that entire sequence set up as if it's almost like a completely different show, and then you spot the Enterprise in the distance in the clouds, you you are immediately like, holy shit! Like, why is it there? What's going on? It does pose yeah, a lot get, of questions. I... I can totally see how that would have been a bit of a Sophie's choice for the for the writers if it is like yeah do we do we start from the point of view of people on Earth and do the reveal of the Enterprise because all the other way around and we work out where we are with the Enterprise lot, but it's great because you know it feels quite you know Twilight Zoney as well because obviously you know that's a lot of that is contemporary 60s America and so yeah to have that reveal it's just a shame it's a bit of a flat reveal in a way it's just, it's just the, the shot of the Enterprise in the actual sky it's just kind of like. I don't know if any of that's been redone effects-wise. I know obviously done, a lot yeah, of this yeah. is, yeah. I can't imagine what it's yeah. like on the original broadcast. Just like, has... there it is in the sky. Yeah. It's very I mean, different. obviously, all of the original series has been kind of touched up, like, CG-wise. But this episode in particular, as, uh, as Paul, I believe, was referencing, has had quite a lot done to it. I think there's, like, whole new CGI sequences in it and oh, stuff yeah. like By that. By the time they're swinging around the sun and everything, yeah, that, that ain't no 60s mm. uh, effect. Like they loophole through a solar flare <laughs> at one yeah. point in it, and you're just like, "Whoa!" Yeah, it's, it's it seems a little much. Mm. But it but is so wild to see, right. like a you know uh, an episode of a show from the '60s deal with aliens and UFOs, and you know the, the base concept of the Enterprise being the UFO that spotted's great, and of course to remember that yeah, this is before we even got onto the moon. Like, this is a couple of years before mm. the moon landings, which is kind of wild to kind of put it in that space. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, broadcast on the 26th of January, 1967, uh, for the first time this episode. Uh, now, I know, Daryl, that you, you did p uh, pinpoint that there's been a time travel element uh, in pre mm. was it the naked time, you said? Yeah. Yeah, naked so, but time. But not, not a full episode like this. And, and yes. I, I think the thing I... Like, going into the other things that I love about this is the fact that we, we end up in a situation, you know, where they break the, the Prime Directive, but with with Earth, which seems like there's this weird Ouroboros situation here, the snake eating its tail, it's just like, well, and again, something that we would then factor into, you know, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, is this whole thing of like, well, we need to give them the technology here in order for us to be able to do this. And I must say, Professor, your knowledge of engineering is most impressive. Yes, back home we call him the miracle worker. Indeed. <laughs> May I offer you something, gentlemen? Dr. Nichols, I might be able to offer something to you. Yes? I notice you're still working with polymers. Still? What, what else would I be working with? Aye, what else indeed? I'll put it another way. How thick would a piece of your plexiglass need to be at 60 feet by 10 feet to withstand the pressure of 18,000 cubic feet of water? 
Oh, that's easy. Six inches. We carry stuff that big in stock. I have noticed. Now, suppose, just suppose, I were to show you a way to manufacture a wall that would do the same job, but be only one inch thick. Would <laughs> that be worth something to you, eh? <laughs> You're joking. Perhaps a professor could use your computer. Please. Computer? Computer? Hello, computer. Just use the keyboard. The keyboard? How quaint. You've got this impossible situation with this guy who, you know, there's this fighter pilot who's... They essentially, they fuck up his, his craft. It, dis, it kind of disintegrates when they put the beam on it. And they're like, they have to beam him aboard. And, and I love that fact where it's just like, well, what do we do with him? Like, he's an unwanted guest. <laughs> and it's such an interesting thing. It's not like they're, they're marveling at this dude. It's just like, oh, mm. God, he's just another obstacle stopping us from actually getting back to our time. Yeah, but with the way it's played by William Shatner as Captain Kirk, he's not thinking that far ahead. When he comes mm. down to the transporter group, he hasn't quite considered what he's going to have to do. To, like, he's going to have to keep him there forever. Mm. Spock who kind of, like, yeah, reminds him. Yeah, he's pretty chill. Him. He's just like, let me show you around. Yeah, and it's like... And in future, that wouldn't be the case. Like, the captain would be the first person to know that we can't do anything to, like, you know, mess up this future. Like, keep him sedated, shoot him when he comes off the pad, like, you know, a stun gun. <laughs> Make him disorientated, doctor. Like, you know, all these kind of things. Anything. But yeah, sure, it's like, you can't be seeing ship. any of this. But instead, it's like, let me give you the tour. Here's how this works. Here's mm. how that works. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Welcome aboard the Enterprise. You speak English. That's right. You can step off the transporter. Uh... Captain John Christopher, United States Air Force. Serial number 4857932. Relax, Captain. You're among friends. <laughs> and he's like in the room where they tell him he's going to have a son. Yeah. Like already. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't exactly know how many yeah. million sperm are released at that particular time, <laughs> at that particular moment, but I don't think John yeah, there's, Joseph there's a lot of weird little plot be... things that I've definitely got questions <laughs> for. But I, I like the I love the idea here that it is their fate is tied to this guest character. You know, like it's not a case of mm. they came back in time and they work out because you know an alternate plot line could have easily been they work out. They were always meant to be here to leave some mm. part of tech behind, you know, like the Terminator arm, basically. And that launches everything that happens because that would have tied them into their own history way too much, I think. But by bringing it just yeah. to this other guy and saying, oh, yeah, he's even he's not that special. Like his son is going to be important. That's a nice knockdown effect of this kind of time travel problem where it's like, oh, yeah, shit, we can't mess this thing up because he needs mm. to do this to do this to do this. So this guy can do something vaguely important. But it's in the whole grand scheme of things, it's hugely important. So it needs to happen. But I, and I do like the pacing of the way they slowly work these things out when it goes from like, oh, we'll just put him back. Oh, we can't put him back. He's seen too much. To oh, we, now we do need to put him back because he's too important. I think it's actually a, a weirdly dark episode, even though it kind of hides that darkness. Like right from the moment where Kirk meets John Christopher in the transporter room, Kirk's face is in shadow whenever he's talking to him. Yeah, and yeah, there's a great lot shot. of moments that are sort of played from the Major's perspective 
in this, I feel, where actually the kind of Enterprise crew are kind of given a weirdly sinister bent because it essentially... Like, he is a completely innocent party, and they are completely fucking him over in many ways because obviously they understand that he can't be allowed to reveal what he's seen. But there's mm. something very, very cold about that way when Spock just checks the records and goes, Oh, he's not relevant, basically. He doesn't matter. Yeah. It's not important. And he, he says that right in front of him in terms of, like, Oh, you're nothing, mate. So actually. If we never give you back, if we hold you prisoner for the rest of your life, we kill you or whatever, like, you know... Shoot you out into the vacuum of space. Yeah, Yeah. it really doesn't matter. You meant nothing. And it's only later, you know, (laughs) when he actually says, like, oh, actually, you know, I've checked more records... And actually, you're so you are oh, shit, man. but your son. Well, they did is that again good. later because they said about like you know he'll be absolutely useless in our time. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. And it's like well, imagine basically be being trained. that guy. Imagine getting abducted by Kirk or you know Shatner, and then you're sat there like in a room with them, and you hear them go like, "Yeah, so we've looked through your entire history. You do fuck all." Uh, in fact, even if we keep you, it's not going to matter because you're a piece of shit. And you're like, oh, maybe I will but jump into space. you couldn't adapt to our world. Yeah. It's like, but sir, I think we need a new toilet cleaner. Oh, yes, excellent. Clear <laughs> Clean the box yeah. immediately. Well, I think uh, this is like Fry from Futurama, like yes. a jet pilot. This is it. I mean, a lesser sci-fi show would have opened with an episode like this and he would have been part of the crew. Mm. It would have been... Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it would have been that first episode of Doctor Who where they end up with the school teachers stuck yes. on the TARDIS with them. It would have been exactly that because that would have been the audience's lens through to, to this, you know, sci-fi world. I, I was obviously super glad they didn't do that. But it's definitely something that, you know, if if the show had needed a bit of sexing up 20 episodes in, they could have quite easily gone... Yeah, we'll keep him on board because he means nothing on Earth right now. Mm. Like, you know, there could have been that element. I'm I'm glad they didn't do it. But, you know, just having him there for that moment, you're like, what are they going to do with this guy? Mm. Yeah, if they had kept Mm. a guy like this on as a new regular, yeah, he would have been, you know, the comic relief. Like, it would have just been every episode, there'd be just gags about how some idiot from present day 60s doesn't get all this stuff. He'd be like firing phases wrong and he would turn (laughs) Well, he'd have taken the. he would have taken that the the role that Spock ends up with at the end of a lot of episodes of the original series, where there's all there always seems to be like a joke at Spock's expense, and everybody just kind of laughing on the bridge, like Haha, Spock, you dumb fuck. And that's, that's a lot of episodes end with that moment and a little bit of twee twinkly music, and it would have just been that guy instead. He'd be like, Haha, you know nothing, you moron. Yeah, it'd have been the same thing. Yeah, he'd just be like, oh, they just keep me around because you know, like, I'm funny, aren't I? I'm a laugh, like. You He'd have, been, he'd have been saying slightly racially, you know, insensitive things to Ahura. He'd have been like, the sexual politics would have been through the, you know, been terrible. Yeah. He turns around, he goes, <laughs> a woman? Yeah. And then Kirk goes, crew. Just like so matter of fact. Yeah. And then he sees Ahura on the bridge and like, they're, they're in like, the background while, while, yeah, exactly. While Kirk's in the foreground. And there is definitely like, a, well, she's like, well, this is this and this is this. And, and it's, it is. It's. It's. It's not like he's like a knuckle dragging like Neanderthal. Yeah. You know, he's he's definitely a guy. He's a, you know he's, he's, a, he's a he's a fire pilot for Christ's sakes. But he's he, this is somebody who's having his eyes opened to this whole new world. That is funny how he sees. I love he sees also, Spock and it's like Vulcan, new species or whatever. Wait, a woman on the bridge? Oh my god! <laughs> but, but I just also when when uh, Kirk goes uh, crewman, like uh, it's like 
that's like the least sexist you've been all season. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't know. He's thinking, Smash oh, that. he doesn't know what I've been yeah, like, like last week. Well, like, I'll, I'll look good in front of this guy. Because I was about to say, I was like, yeah. to be fair, Christopher Pipe, the original fucking captain, was just as bad. He was going, oh, I'm still getting used to a woman on the bridge. So, you know, he would have got on well with the major at the end of the day. I love that Spock's main concern is that he could manipulate stocks. Like, that's his big thing when he says, like, you know, oh, if we allow him to go back, he could manipulate stocks. It's just like, oh, no. I think he needs his bead aboard Biff Tannen. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, a, he's like, sir, if we let him go back that sports almanac, it'll all go mad. This film is literally, he gets back to the future. That's exactly what it is. They yes. need to go back. They're having, they're, they're stuck in the situation with this this guy who's a, a bit of a bit of a rube. And yeah, and it's them trying to kind of work their way back, and all the shenanigans that ensue in the meantime. This again, it's the whole reason why I dig this. It's <laughs> it, like you know, arena's great, and yes, sitting at the, the edge of you know forever is amazing, and like. But there's something about this one. It's the first time that kind of conundrum happens. And for me, and I was like binging the, that first season and a half like a son of a bitch. This is a real slap in the face episode. It's like, oh, wow, we're on Earth suddenly. Oh, wow, it's the 60s Earth as well. I was going back over the synopsis of, of all the episodes prior to this. This is the first time we get to Earth in the original series as well. And it's not their Earth. It's the Earth from like however you know many years before. And, and that's something I really dig. Again, that recontextualizing the whole kind of concept of what they are and what they do. But um, I found it quite interesting that there's this big thing about how we couldn't possibly bring him with us and retrain him. Because, of course, this episode does instantly make you think of Voy Chone, where they also use the slingshot maneuver uh, to travel back in time once again. And in that, the woman who's looking after the whales, they, they do bring her back. And she does end up becoming like a part of Starfleet at the end and everything like that. And she seems absolutely yeah. fine. But here, they're like, oh, no, no, I couldn't possibly be retrained, mate. Going like, yeah, exactly. Like, what we need to do is like, uh, do a computer course, like upskill. Like, I didn't use my computer well, in my last I job. I think it's uh, probably got more to do. Still, still know all there is to be about whales. It's that thing that Discovery are doing doing right now really because obviously they're a thousand years in the future and so they're having to relearn stuff you know it's, it's a bit you know just yes. a bigger jump for them but they've, they've got a handle on it they, they get the basics <laughs> sorry once we get down to the base i think that's where the real caper aspect mm. of this like episode really kicks in and you have the it's it's really good to see kirk and, and sulu on an away mission where they're having to retrieve like evidence uh, that's been recorded of the enterprise so these are photographs and audio recordings of the flight recorder of the jet piloted by uh, Captain John Christopher. Well, I what always used to occur to me though, whenever I watch like you know Shatner and Takei together, just like they hate each other. Yeah. Like you know, isn't it funny <laughs> to see those two people together? Like they must have really not got on. That's kind of weird. <laughs> knowing all this, you just know too much about like you know the parents fighting. Now when you watch some of these characters together. But this, it does lead to yeah. one of the most. I mean, right on the heels of Arena, another absolute batshit fight from the <laughs> Shatner. Very silly, isn't it? Let's talk about that. So jumping. silly. <laughs> He's leaping all over the place. I mean, I was like, when I saw this, I was like, oh, Kirk's introducing these soldiers to his future fighting skills, which basically mean, like, leaping about the room. 
<laughs> well, it is his his first gambit is just to run and leap at them like he's going to be taking a picture at the wedding, yeah. like you know, and he's going to be doing the best man, the best man of all, like holding him like sideways. Like that was basically what he was trying to do, like land in their lap. <laughs> yeah, he jumps up, he does that big kick. You know, he holds himself up and does the kick from the door frame. Immediately jumps over yeah. a guy on the floor. He's just full of beans. That was no stunt man. That was just <laughs> the real, wasn't it? It's and, like he was uh, auditioning for Broadway or something. The amount of like leaping he was doing in that in that moment yeah it's, it's really quite something i love the original series for the the kind of fisty cuffs element that we get a lot of there and and this has it in spades um one thing that, that you know this is maybe the third or fourth time i've watched this episode uh, it gets me is like right if you're gonna beam any crew members down to deal with this uh, you know like we've been down kirk strong looking white dude kirk and then we're like, okay, right. And we're also going to beam down the Asian fella we have on board as well. We're looking at 1967, so we're, you know, height of the Cold War. And then on top of that flip side, we've also got the Vietnam War. And it's just like, yeah, this doesn't look fishy at all. And then later on, to try and fix things further, they send down the alien. <laughs> like, yeah. they send Spock down. Nobody will notice. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah at, at least at the, uh, yeah, the Nazi episode, they had the good taste to put on some uniforms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or should I say bad taste? But it's, uh... What is that? Is that a uniform of some kind? This little thing? Something I slipped on. If there was ever a line that felt like it was made up on the spot because there was like a gap in the script, uh, that, that was it. <laughs> I do like a lot of Shatner's uh, performance in this bit because he is being very yes. cocky and stuff. Like once they realise, mm. you know, Sulu's disappeared and they go, oh, he couldn't have disappeared. And Shatner's like, hmm, that's right. He couldn't have. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, Shatner acts like he's in the holodeck with the safety protocols well and truly on. Yeah. That's how he plays it. Like, I mean, the, the thing is, like, they would have beaten the living hell out of him for some answers by the, by the time this happened. And he would have felt every single one of those blows and thumb screws and stuff. It just, like... I, I, yeah, he's so... Oh, puffy. that could have been the, like, the grittier version of this episode. Yeah, like, he gets subjected to some real brutal, like, beat-down torture is down there. He's like, I've been so shaken up by this savage well, past, I'll never return. But the thing is, you say that, but when uh, Spock comes to his rescue, Kirk gives one of the guards such a fucking clobbering. He, like, fucking batters him. And even to the point of he's saying he really hurt his hands doing it. And I'm just kind of like, he acts like a person who has just been taught. He's like, fucking old scum, like, I can take you out. And I'm like, they didn't do anything to you, mate. Why are you so angry? Like, <laughs> Actually, they treated you with, like, the utmost respect that you've conventionally yeah, appeared like, to. you still got your fingernails. Like, you what are you worried about? <laughs> <laughs> So prior to all that, we do end up in a situation where they manage to screw things up even harder by Sulu and Kirk getting discovered by a guard who then holds them at gunpoint takes a communicator and is then beamed aboard the Enterprise. It's like, okay, we started and we were screwed because we had one Earth dude from the 60s on our ship, and now we've got two. Just I love that. people. Yeah, this is yeah. it. The episode's kind of sense of humour about itself is, like, very unevident in that scene where the man's up there, he's sort of almost frozen, like he's so shocked. Catatonic, and you have, like, yeah. McCoy just casually walk up and take the gun from him. And uh, people just like carry on their business around it. They literally have completely no interest in subduing <laughs> this man or like, you know, sort of stunning him. They're just like, yeah, I'm just going to carry on with the mission. We'll deal with this later on. Like, it's happened. We're just going to keep on moving forward. Yeah. One of my notes is chicken soup in a replicator. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> 
We always not sure. I mean, that's the thing. Every character they have in Star Trek who's meant to kind of slightly oppose the Federation way in terms of thinking that so all, all that stuff's a bit kind of, you know, who wants to kind of be back set in the past. Always the first thing they point out is like, oh, replicators are shit. You need real food and everything like that. And they're going like, I've just watched uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine two-parter where Cisco's dad has got like a really old school shitty looking restaurant and he's just like, oh, you're used to that replicator rubbish. Like, get my food down to you. Like, honest, decent grub. But yeah, is it, you're always kind of suspicious of how good that replicator food tastes. I can still remember the aromas when my mother was cooking. She cooked? Oh, she didn't believe in a replicator. She thought real food was more nutritious. But yeah, so Spock comes to the rescue, but unfortunately they're portrayed by Major Christopher, who turns around and says, oh, no, you know, I've got a duty to report everything back. And I, I was just like, mate, what are you doing? Like, they've yeah. given you a nice uniform to wear, everything like that. They've looked after you, and then you portray them. Like, what the fuck? It doesn't look like you. You've already been kink. told that you're worth nothing, mate, so count yourself lucky. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as your dick's still working, we can still break your legs. <laughs> It, see, it does seem like an unnecessary kink in the episode in which they wouldn't have needed the weird Superman 2 kiss moment where, oh, we you beamed them back to where they were and, uh, and you know, they were none the wiser. Like, if you'd have had him go, you know what, I'm going to keep mum on all of this, and the other guy, the security guy, is just like catatonic and has shit himself or something, and he just gets beamed back and he's just like... What just happened? I think I need to go to the funny farm or whatever. You know, you could have had that. Instead, it's, you know, him going, well, I've got a duty to report all this. It's just like, no, son. Seriously, what are you playing at? They could literally extract your semen and shoot you out into the sun. (laughs) It's good idea, actually. Literally, just like, all we need is his sperm. (laughs) It's just McCoy jostling him off. They just need one sperm. <laughs> yeah, the sperm. That's yeah. the trouble. And then you want exact one, and that's why it falls down for me. Like, yeah, there are a few <laughs> moments here where it kind of you know conjures up this conflict and then immediately diffuses it. Because yeah, because he he mm. kicks off, but then straight away Spock takes him down, and he's just like, oh yeah, I thought you'd do that. I was prepared by sneaking up behind him. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was very confused by this because Spock just disappears into that office that's in front. Of Major Christopher. Yeah. <laughs> and he just disappears in there and these go, Spock, Spock, come out. And then Spock appears <coughs> behind him. And I'm like, right, so did that office, was there another door no, in that office? beamed up and beamed back down, right? <laughs> oh, is that what you think he did? It's got to be it. Yeah, of course. Oh, I yeah, thought that's he was like that. getting into the fucking ducks, air shaft, and like <laughs> nah, coming, man. coming across. You're thinking like those like security that. officers now. That's what yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. That's what, oh, i never make it Two-dimensional thinking. <laughs> yes, no, you're right. You must have been beamed up and beamed straight back down behind him. Yeah, no, that's very good. But I, I love Shatner's performance in this whole episode. I've got to say, I really think this is another example. I mean, I kind of think that Shatner's best performances in Star Trek are often in this first season because it's almost like that very early stages before he's got too used to playing Kirk. And a few more of those classic kind of Shatner Shatnerisms have kind of, kind of taken over. And this is at this point just a brand new role to him. And he's just kind of, you know, laying down lots of new stuff and just playing it almost like he would any other role. And 
like I think throughout this episode, he's really great. I think he always comes across that that his face does keep getting put in shadow whenever he's kind of you know trying to talk to uh, the major and you know having to lay down the law to him a little bit and it is that thing of like at the end of the day the buck stops with Kirk and he knows he has to stop what this guy is doing and you kind of you do get an impression off Kirk that as much as he doesn't want to he is willing to do what needs to be done if this guy just cannot be contained in any way. Mm. It's also another one where, like, Spock is, like, when they're basically going for their, like, one shot at this final attempt at the slingshot to get home, and Spock starts counting down. Approaching breakaway point on the countdown. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Now, Mr. Sulu. We get Scotty telling them the stakes, which I think is, is great. It's like, well... We could overshoot our time, which would have been, that would have been pretty neat. You know, that's what Discovery's doing now. Or, like, if we break too soon, you know, we could just be ripped apart. And, you know, you obviously you know that there's going to be an episode next week, but you're just like, okay, right, well, there are stakes here. Something could potentially screw up quite majorly with, with this. And I, and I really dig that. I, I love that there are stakes, even towards the end of this, which has been mostly a comical episode in places, and it's still towards the end. It's just like, yeah, but we could just all die horrifically. And I love that. It's, you know, the, the, the stakes is high. Yeah, risk is our business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it feels like a lot of precursor to that great yeah. speech you can live as later on in the series yeah. uh, yes. i can't remember if it's this season or the next one i think it might be later in season two but it does feel like it's those kind of calls is what he's making at the moment you know for this i had some excellent bridge action in terms of throwing people around i think they oh, really wow. go yeah. for it yeah this might be the most falling over any of them ever do again yeah it's handled yeah, yeah, it's... in quite a tense fashion although I mean, it's weird. It's one of those things because, of course, since then, we've seen them use the slingshot manoeuvre again in other films and episodes. We know it works absolutely fine. And so some of the tension is slightly diffused by the fact that we're like, they're going to be fine. But it is, it's certainly, it's given the gravity within that sequence of this may not work. Yeah, I really do love classic kind of time travel romps like this and it's it's good to see him doing it so early and and so well it really does remind me of speaking of futurama the one where they do go back to roswell in the 40s and uh, that even has zoidberg get captured by the military uh it has a lot of echoes there <laughs> if you come in peace surrender i'll be destroyed if you're here to make war we surrender both good the important thing is i'm meeting new people bushwa now what's your mission are you planning to make some kind of alien human hybrid are you coming on to me? Hot crackers, I take exception to that. I'm not hearing a no. Search to this space crab. If we want information, we'll have to do us an old-fashioned alien autopsy. Hooray! They definitely sort of reprise this a little with um, the Deep Space Nine episode, Little Green Men, uh, which I believe was directed by James L. Conway, previous mm. guest on the yeah, show. Yeah, that's the Roswell episode, for sure. Yeah, and that, that feels reminiscent of this episode quite a bit with, kind of, you know, the army base and stuff like that. It definitely takes some cues from it. But Little Green Men is a, is a great, great episode. Um, very well worth seeking out. I should say that this is featured on a list. Uh, Nerdist did a top 10 best time travel episodes of Star Trek, because there are that many. 
and this was number six. Uh, so the Ooh. six best time travel episode in Czech. So this is this is we're getting niche now with these lists. The episodes in front of this were at number five, Endgame, which is the finale of Star Trek Voyager, uh, which I haven't seen. Number four, All Good Things, which is the finale of Star Trek Next Generation. Number three, Trials and Tribulations, uh, which we've covered on the show before, which is the 30th anniversary mm. episode for DS9. They go back into the Trouble Tribbles episode. Uh, number two, Yesterday's Enterprise and Star Trek Next Generation. And at number one, of course, it is the city of the edge of forever, uh, mm, of which is also from season one of the original series. Uh, will they also go back in time, but use a different method uh, to travel back mm. in time in that one? I think if you like this episode, I, I really want to recommend a season two one, which I re- really stands out for me, called Assignment Earth. Oh, okay. Uh, which is meant to be like a, a kind of backdoor pilot for like a spin-off show, and it stars Terry Gar in a very early role. Uh, where she's uh, she and another character who's called uh, Gary Seven, who's like this man for the future, is like trying to kind of come back and put things right. But the you know, Enterprise is actually on Earth in sixty eight, nineteen sixty eight, like observing for, for historical purposes. <laughs> so it's like they've gone back in time on purpose. So it's kind of a bit of a stretch, like how they would have allowed that to happen under the Brian Directive. But it is quite a good thriller, like in terms of trying to abort a plan to like put a nuclear weapons platform in space. But I just love it because Terry Gar's in it, and she's one of my favourite actresses of all time. So it was great to see her in an early role, like absolutely shining in this. So shall we talk some final thoughts on this episode? Daryl, why don't you go first as this was your pick? Okay, yeah. I'm Again, like this is one of those ones where... Obviously, if you if you're trying to recommend Star Trek episodes from the original season, and yeah, you've got the heavy hitters. You do have your arenas and the City of the Edge of Forever and 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 the Corbinite Maneuver and all of those. But for me, that this one, this is one of those ones that like um, okay, right. So QT when he was like his whole whole idea, Quentin Tarantino with his whole idea of like oh his Star Trek film when it came out that it was basically going to be right City on the Edge of Forever, but like a modern version. I think screw it. That it, don't 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 mess with something that is so widely regarded as a classic. Take this one. This this would be this would work with the 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 current version of the Enterprise crew. You could make a solid, you know, 90 minute, 120 minute version of this where they are constantly bol- like for the first half ballsing this up because they've never, you know, they've never experienced this before. There's so much to this that there's quite rich there that you can... And you could, you could like, even with that time, kind of time, have some breathing room where you don't have to have a Superman 2 kiss as a way to, to, to end it and, and make everything magically okay again. Um, I, just, I just have a lot of fun with this one. It's, it's a great one. And again, it's the first time we reach Earth in Star Trek, like, full stop. And it's not their Earth. And it's an Earth that they can't actually have any contact with as well. It's like a hands-off version. And I think that there's so many parts of that that I just, I just love. There's 430 of us. That's 430 chances of altering the future. I just love that as a line. It's like, god damn. Mm. That's a, uh, yeah. Confirmed population of the Enterprise as well. Yeah, absolutely. Something that I don't, I can't recall, you know, coming before. We get a good old uh, 1960s judo chop from Sulu at one point, which is just masterful. Mm. And Christopher, just as great so as he, he knows the, he knows yeah. the score. <laughs> 
It's wonderful. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's just one of these episodes. That, and again, this is one that, you know, if I'm feeling slightly hungover or if I'm needing something to watch to go to bed to, I, I will come back to an episode like this because it's just, it's just a riot, man. I love it. Cool. Paul. I think I agree. Like, yeah, it could have made, a, I think it was meant to be part of a two-parter originally. And they can see that there's so much scope here for, for more interpolations. And it does, you play that Back to the Future hand where for the first half of that film, they're not solving the problem. They're just making it worse. You know, it was bad enough he's in 1955, but now he has to make his parents meet. Like, it's it's that kind of thing, isn't it? So if you kind of, there is like lots more perhaps they could have done with that. It, it's just limited, of course, by its small budget and uh, and use stock footage and the rest of it. And I think the original episode wouldn't have had the impact. I still think because like, look at the comparison as well. Like a lot of the effects, you know, I do prefer the original effects, but in this particularly, they're not telling the story in the same way. So mm. I think this reversion actually does add with the um, slingshot, bit a bit more drama to like what's actually going to happen at the end cool. great episode yeah it's definitely a really good one i think i enjoyed it more on this re- on this revisit actually when you know it's surrounded by such iconic episodes either side and uh you know the next episode is the first one I think, where kirk talks a computer to death which has become a, a recurring theme uh you know there's there's so many things that they do do time and again but they don't necessarily do this every week mm. so yeah, yeah, very true. It just you made you laugh with Kirk talking confused because it's always. But what about love? Love? What <laughs> is this love? Malfunction. <laughs> 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 and then just and there's always just some smoke for the machine whenever like it just burns up like it's been like oh, I cannot work it out. <laughs> Why must uh, I feel pain? <laughs> <laughs> Why does no one love me? <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what did you think of this episode? Yeah, I, I echo all these thoughts. It's it's a great time. Like I, I've often found, ironically, for a you know a show like Star Trek, which is such a big beacon of sci-fi fiction, you know, TV, movies, all sorts, and been around for so long that a lot of the actual time travel focused stuff, for me, doesn't always work. Whether it's you know random slingshotting to get home and stuff that doesn't quite all make sense and a lot of missed opportunities in terms of crafting a Back to the Future style conundrum where it really is a case of things going worse and worse and and, th- and this like many of them I think doesn't quite always land some of the you know the logic behind stuff and and everything but I think for what it makes up for that is is kind of focusing on with this episode particularly you know that your guest star this Christopher guy and tying things to him and allowing to see the, the crew try and work things out and they, you know they do make things progressively worse but I think the fixes come too easily it's very much just you know a bit of sci-fi mumbo jumbo and ignore the fact about memories or accuracy of how we're getting home to the exact moment like those sort of things kind of don't really matter in the end if the story is interesting and it's and it's very great to see you know modern day earth back then as well and i think a lot of the uh, a lot of the camaraderie of the crew is on full display again i kind of like enjoy how chill a lot of them are being in this because it is kind of adds to that fun time and yeah and with all these other great episodes mentioned as well i think it is one that you can just be like oh yes it's the fun one where they end up back in present day earth uh, and it's easy one to kind of pick up and there's a lot of cool ideas in here so yeah i i enjoy it a lot and i you know i need to finish some of the rest of the original series i haven't seen including a lot of season one that um still some highlights in there um because i've definitely seen arena before this but you know i don't think i've done court martial yet the next one um so yeah it's definitely make every time i see one of these it just makes me want to go on a mini binge and it's just a case of time and so (laughs) i need to go back in time (laughs) yeah great stuff 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I really enjoyed this episode. I've seen it before. Yes, I think if you hold it up next to the city on the edge of forever, it inevitably looks quite light and slim in comparison. But, I, I you know, I don't think it's trying to be as kind of weighty as that episode is. I think this is... Like I think as Daryl said, it becomes a bit of a caper. I think it's good fun in that kind of caper style towards the end. But I think also it does have some real heady issues with, with the way they are actually dealing with Major Christopher. Kind of, I think it does get really, really dark because it is this thing of they have to weigh up the fate of this one man against the fate of well, the, the universe essentially. And I think that does go to some dark places. You know, you end up kind of questioning that. If, yeah, basically. Can we sacrifice this one guy for the greater good? And I, like I say, I think Shatner's greater really, good. Yeah, <laughs> I think Shatner's <laughs> but, really but yes, fantastic yeah. in it. Um, I think it's great performance from him. I mean, I, I, I usually think he's pretty great um, in the original series, to be honest. But I think he's particularly uh, good here. And there's some really nice bits of kind of lighting and shadow done with mm. the start with him in particular. Uh, but just the Star Trek crew in, in general, which I think is really nice and subtle uh, with this episode, and kind of puts us in the perspective of uh, Major Christopher in the episode. Uh, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a good a good fun, reasonably inconsequential, but good fun episode, which uh, I definitely enjoyed revisiting. Well, they make you feel for him, don't they? Like, uh, in a quite a short space of time, you know, they do set him up as a person, you know, he's got a family, he's got, like, ties to Earth, like, you know, and with the lighting and those things, you know, you're, the crew you are familiar with every week, you are kind of empathising with the man that's stuck with him. You know, you don't want to beat him to go through that. Yeah. And his fate is the drama of the episode yeah. because we know they're going to get back. But what happens to him? Its stakes do matter. Yeah, and I do like the whole thing of, because we were talking about earlier... How in Voyage Home they do bring someone from the past uh, through to the future who does kind of reacquaint themselves and everything like that. Whereas with this, what I like is Kirk, first of all, he says, oh yeah, he couldn't be retrained. But then he kind of sideswipes that and goes, well, even if he could, he still wouldn't because we're asking, we'd have to ask this guy to basically, you know, say goodbye to his family, his friends, his own life, his, his time and everything like that. And so he's saying emotionally, he couldn't move on because it would just kind of like cripple you uh, emotionally. And I think that's really, really good that he kind of acknowledged that and just goes, yeah, it's not going to, it's not going to work. I did lose some sympathy for Major Christopher when he tried to betray them just because I was like, mate, what's going yeah. on? They've given they you a nice <laughs> uniform, some chicken soup, and this is how you Accepted you. <laughs> Traitor. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, give them- I mean, in, in fairness, if, you, you could also have it where if, if this inconsequential guy from the 60s gets told he's inconsequential and then gets beamed back, that's, that, to me that sounds like the origin story for a supervillain to me. Somebody yeah, who yeah. is destined to, you know, I will not be inconsequential. And <laughs> yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. That could have, it could have it, gone that it's route It's the too. makings of a mass murderer. Totally, like, yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be remembered. Well, thank you very much, Dale, for bringing this episode to us. It was a really fun one to do. Thank you for definitely. having me back. Oh, mate, an absolute pleasure. I'm sure we'll have you back again at some point. And as you mentioned, your good lady wife is going to be on the podcast uh, at some point soon uh, for one mm. of our on-screen episodes. So that should be really, really fun when we get <laughs> round to that. Fantastic. Can you tell us where we can find you and the work you do online? 
uh, you can find me at SDD Film Podcast, and that's uh, that's on Twitter, and that's also on Instagram, um, and that's that's generally where I lurk for the podcast. And again, sudden double deep on our show, we watched three films linked by a word in the title. Our episodes are kind of a twofers, so you've got the triple bill episode, and the next week we run a deeper, where ordinarily what we do is we go a little deeper on that previous triple bill. So yeah, that, that gives you a, an idea as to what we do as a show anyways, but yeah, cool. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, seriously, guys. Great like, to have you back, I, man. <laughs> I, I did, it was this bit of a thing, or it wasn't like a jab or anything, but it was like, okay, I've talked X-Men with these guys. I, you know, we talked Death Wish 3 with these guys. It's like, <laughs> could I call on a Star Trek episode, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've certainly done your pre-reading. Uh, that is no, no mean feat to get through the original series with the amount of like watching you have to do. So, yeah, yeah. yeah that is a good going. Just pulling yeah, a real Jeff Goldblum there. Like, is these there going to be any uh, no Star Trek on your star trek show <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's uh yeah really really great to have you back man definitely if you want to hear more of daryl on the podcast definitely hunt down those x-men and death wish free episodes uh, i actually list re-listened to our death wish free episode the other day is really fucking funny <laughs> like, oh it's it's stonky i really really enjoyed that as a as a basically better be a fan for the episode i really <laughs> recommend that one too despite oh, the lack of port so much fun <laughs> like uh did we convince you to watch death wish free no but like <laughs> i didn't i don't think i need to <laughs> no, like, stop, but... <laughs> yeah very true just as, as an, an unnecessary byproduct of like seeing that thing is we'd be watching it like it's fine yes. you, get, you get what you need to do very very true very very true uh so you can find us at spotlight pod on twitter instagram and facebook uh you can drop us an email uh spotlightpod at gmail.com tell us your favorite time travel episode of Star Trek, is it this one? Is it anyone else uh, got this one as their favourite? Like Daryl, that'd be really interesting. Interesting to hear. Uh, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or presumably whatever kind of app you use uh, to listen to your podcast. Uh, that'd be really, really great. It's just lovely to see people's thoughts on the show. To be honest, more than more than anything, I know it's always that talk about oh you know helps you become more visible and stuff like that and i'm sure it does but it, I, I just enjoy reading people's thoughts on the show so that that's always always yeah. nice it reminds us see. there are people out there and that that are real and have real thoughts and lives going on and somewhere in all that they've taken the time to listen and enjoyed it and let us know and we get to see that part and it's like that's really uh really great right okay well until next time we'll see you yesterday or maybe tomorrow goodbye